Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is November 23rd. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be going over my recap and thoughts from the game between the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets. The Dolphins, of course, extend their winning streak, coming away with a victory here, 24-17. to This was a game that was on the road against the Jets. Again, the Jets aren't the greatest team. They're now 2-8 and with this loss. But again, when you're playing a division rival, when you're playing on the road, I think somebody on Twitter made a good point. When you watch a team like the Tennessee Titans lose against a team like the Houston Texans, it goes to show you any given Sunday always applies, especially when you're playing a divisional game like that. Teams always give it a little bit more, so coming away with the win here is still very important. So if you're asking me for the entire scope of this game, how did the Dolphins play? I have to say three-fourths of this game, it seemed like, was extremely boring, especially in that first half. There was a lot of ineptitude on both sides offensively, and it looked really bad. The Dolphins came out very strong at the beginning of their game. Uh, Their typical opening drive success was a parent yet again this week but then after that it just seemed like the offense couldn't get anything going and the same thing applied to the New York Jets and overall it seemed like in that first half the Jets I would give a little bit of the upper hand to and it really did seem like at some point okay maybe the Jets are actually going to take control of this game but that's not what ended up happening as the Dolphins are able to come away with the win here 24 to 17. So first thing we're going to go over here is quarterback Tua Tungavailoa because as always it's become a pretty heated topic on Twitter. He would finish this game, a very, very impressive stat line of 27 for 33, 273 yards, two touchdowns, and he did have one interception, which we will talk about. But first things first, you look at that completion percentage, you look at the yards, all of that, pretty good, pretty efficient when you're looking at all of that. But there's one play in particular where he found Mac Hollins for what ended up being a 65-yard touchdown pass. This was his longest completion of his entire career and his longest air yards on a single pass. It traveled just over 50 yards, all of that through the air. It was very impressive. You look at what he did, he was able to avoid the pressure, step up, look downfield, and even though it was busted coverage, I mean, it was still a very, very good play. And for some reason, that's kind of became a heated topic on Twitter. Back and forth, people are talking about uh, how good of a play it was or how good of a play it wasn't. Overall, was it underthrown a little bit? I mean, maybe if you're really trying to nitpick it, but how many times are we going to see a guy like Kirk Cousins just lob a one-on-one opportunity to Justin Jefferson and Jefferson helps him out a ton? Or how many times are we going to see, you know, Herbert do that with Mike, uh, Mike Williams or Joe Burrow do that with Jamar Chase? At the end of the day, sometimes the other player helps. So Mac Holland slowing down to make the pass and it still ends up a touchdown. I'm not going to use that against Tua. Overall, it was still a very impressive play. But with that in mind, I do want to say that it seems like there may be a very, very small minority of people, maybe like 1% of people that have come out and said that they weren't impressed with that play, which, okay, whatever, I'm totally against that opinion, but it has created an echo chamber on Twitter where 
99% of people are arguing against this very tiny minority of people that said it was unimpressive. And frankly, it's becoming very annoying. And I've mentioned how people on Twitter being overly defensive when it comes to Tua and the Tua stands, it makes it extremely difficult to root for the guy. It's almost insufferable because we're all on the same page, it seems like in this instance, aside from that small minority that it was a good play, but yet people are putting these like over complicated think pieces. I would understand if it was just a thread here or there, but it's the entire scope of Twitter. And frankly, it's just like, calm down. It shouldn't be, you know, consuming everyone's lives to this extent. It, it really just makes it very annoying. But at the end of the day, a very impressive game from Tua Tungavailoa. If I had to rate it, I would rate it like a 7.5. I would say it was very good. I don't think it was phenomenal because a lot of those passes minus that one uh, to Mac Hollins were kind of, you know, playing within himself. And he did have one interception where he overthrew his man. It was a bad play overall. Just sailed it right over him. He stepped up, put a ton into it ended up being a pick and it seems like on a weekly basis there's that one very bad decision from Tua Tungavailoa or in this case it was very bad execution but when he had a game that was this efficient I would say that you know he did a pretty good job so on top of that you look at the running game here Miles Gaskin dominated the carries one of his more productive outings 23 carries for 89 yards and he also had a big 20 yard rush in this game and then Duke Johnson was called up kind of a surprising move but the Dolphins ended up not activating Savannah on Ahmed for this game. He was inactive, so Duke Johnson had an opportunity, and in a limited role, he did look pretty good in this game. Four carries, only 18 yards, but showed good production. Hopefully, he could be worked in here a little bit more offensively, and then uh, Jalen Waddle had one carry for one yard, but it was in the red zone, ended up being a touchdown for Miami, and as we mentioned for the receiving game, Mac Hollins had 72 yards, but most of them came on that big reception. Jalen Waddle once again, led the team in receiving, or in receptions, I should say, in this game. Eight catches for 65 yards. Again, a very low uh, yards per catch total. Hopefully he's being, uh, uh, you know, he's able to be incorporated more so down the field, but that was not the case yet again in this game. Mike Kosicki, five catches for 50 yards. Even though that's kind of a modest stat line, I think we could all agree that the Dolphins still need to extend this guy. You look at the energy he brings on the field. He needs to be a guy who's on this team. And then Albert Wilson, three catches for 18 yards in this game. And I I will say Albert Wilson's looking a little bit more exciting. Again, a modest performance in terms of the, the yards, only 18 there, but you watch him with the ball in his hands and he's an exciting guy and he's really starting to come along, I would say, a little bit more. And then he also had an opportunity to throw a pass. He lobbed one to Preston Williams into the corner of the end zone. Almost a very, very well executed play. Wasn't able to reel it in, but that would have been cool. I was a little bit concerned with the idea the Dolphins are in the red zone on one one of those plays, they come out in the Wildcat. On the other one, they give Albert Wilson an opportunity to throw the ball. I know I've kind of been clamoring for a little bit more creativity, but, you know, sometimes I just want Tua Tungavailoa in those bigger moments to have an opportunity to show what he's able to do out there. And then defensively in this game, it was kind of, you know, one of those up and down performances. Uh, Elijah Moore torched the defense. He ended up having eight catches for 141 yards. And there was one play in particular, the commentators even 
even said it before. The Dolphins had all their men lined up at the line of scrimmage. Javon Holland was the deepest one back, and he was still pretty short, just about 10 yards off the receivers. And they said right there, no one's playing back. Kind of that same philosophy the Dolphins have had so far throughout the season. And it was one of those times, you know, sometimes it works out for the Dolphins, but when the other team is able to take advantage and you don't have any sort of safety over the top, it's going to end up being a big play, which ended up happening. It was a 62-yard reception. Byron Jones just got beat on that individual play. Elijah Moore was able to take it to the house for 50 yards after the catch on that one play. Now, again, I don't think this is going to change the Dolphins' philosophy in any sort of way. I think they are very well aware of what this means. You know, they're just going to kind of say, hey, we're going to keep doing this. You guys have to win your individual performances. They put a lot of trust in those guys in the secondary to hold their man in check while the pressure gets there. I don't think that's going to change unless they continuously get exploited in this way. But again, it's kind of the pros and cons. There were some other instances where it ended up working out for the team, such as in this one play where we saw Brandon Jones, a safety, fly in from the outside, lay a vicious hit on Joe Flacco, ended up turning into an interception by Christian Wilkins. He then fumbled and it was recovered by Javon Holland. So the Dolphins are going to continue to do this. They want to create this confusion. They want to send those blitzes. They want the pressure to get there. They want to create those turnovers. And it seems like it's apparent at this point that they're willing to give up some of the big plays. And I just think that's kind of the outlook and the whole uh, identity that the Dolphins defense sort of has. I don't expect that to change. And I will say in this game, another impressive performance from Javon Holland, who doesn't look like a rookie at all. He lays the hammers on guys. He is a Swiss army knife. He's all over the field. The guy is an absolute leader. Just hard not to love what you see from Javon Holland, who ended up having another big day, led the team in tackles with seven, also had a pass deflection. The guy is an absolute monster on the field. And then you look at the Dolphins defense in terms of sacks. You had Brandon Jones, who I mentioned, flying in there from the edge. And then another guy, Jalen Phillips, 2021 draft class. Uh, Chris Greer, again, under a lot of pressure from that 2021. But the 2021 draft class, I say it every week, the guys look absolutely phenomenal out there defensively. Now, there were some other plays where the Dolphins defense got kind of exposed. Running back Michael Carter had himself quite a big day. Nine carries, and even though he only had nine carries, he managed to pick up 63 yards, including this massive 39-yard run where he was basically untouched for 20 of those yards, and he was able to break it big towards the outside. That's kind of been one of my bigger complaints, that it seems like on those runs, the Dolphins front, primarily the linebackers, even though they're a diverse group right there, they look undersized far too often, aren't able to create disruption, and it turns into some massive, just huge holes for the running backs to be able to hit when they go up against the Dolphins. And then there was this other series of plays where the Dolphins were doing a pretty good job on a goal line stand. They were holding the Jets offense really well, and the Jets offense actually elected to go for it. They were doing a good job, but then Jamison Crowder, wide open, busted coverage. The Dolphins gave up a touchdown on that fourth down play. He ended up finishing with six catches for 44 yards and a touchdown. But overall, like I said, it seemed like there were moments, especially in the first half, where the Jets were, you know, coming on very strong and it looked very disappointing. The Jets, uh, the Dolphins offense at the same time also kind of to disappear. So that was a little bit worrisome to see. But then at the end of the day, they were able to pull things together. I'm not going to be completely furious about how they played. Overall, I would say they played good, but they definitely have to play better if they want to get wins against teams like the Carolina Panthers or teams like the New England Patriots.
Patriots, teams like that on their schedule, they aren't going to be able to get away with playing these, uh, you know, up and down performances where they're able to string it together last minute like they did against the Jets here in this game. So for some of my takeaways, I mean, the first one here is that I can't say with absolute certainty the Dolphins are going to make a run into the playoffs. Of course, theoretically, it's possible they could just win out from here on out. Uh, they're definitely looking a lot better than they did while Jacoby Brissett was a quarterback. So that's positive. And they definitely are coming along, you know, showing some positive elements. But at the end of the day, I mean, hopefully they do. I mean, hopefully they come out here and they're able to win out. I mean, that would be awesome. Now, they don't have their draft pick this year. And while we all agree that's pretty infuriating that they don't have their own draft pick in a year that ended up being so disappointing, if there's any sort of silver lining in this instance is that we're not stuck in that kind of limbo, that purgatory where we're saying, man, we know we're out of the playoffs. Should we even want to win? I see the people are always in that dilemma where it seems like once the Dolphins are out of playoff contention, they string it along and basically all they're doing is making their draft pick that much worse. So they don't have their own draft pick in this instance. So you can hope for the rest of the season that they come out here and absolutely dominate their opponents. I know most people have that approach regardless about the draft, uh, draft pick situation, but at the end of the day, they don't have their draft pick and they dominate for the rest of the season. My next takeaway is that Tua Tungavailoa looks pretty good. If you have to ask me, right now we have a sample size, which is basically an entire rookie year. You have basically a year worth of a sample size, and Tua Tungavailoa, to me, looks pretty good. He looks like a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. And for a guy who, again, who has a sample size of a rookie, that's exactly where you would expect him to be. That is a pretty good assessment. I would be thrilled if you had a middle-of-the-pack quarterback in a rookie. And I know we have guys like Joe Burrow. We have guys like Justin Herbert who kind of set this unrealistic standard of what a rookie quarterback should be doing. But frankly, what you have in Tua Tungavailoa right now is absolutely enough to warrant saying, yeah, let's just build around this guy. Am I absolutely certain he's going to be able to catapult himself into that elite category? I'm not necessarily sure, but based off what we've seen so far, he at least deserves people to have that approach that, yeah, we can build around this guy. He's definitely not a bust at this point, which is, you know, pretty relieving in that same sense. Now, guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. As always, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at ShadySteven and at Via the Source. If you have any topics, things you'd like for me to discuss in future episodes, any questions, feel free to reach out to me on there. I would gladly discuss it in a future episode. But guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Stephen Masso, and this was Via the Source.